good to see everybody here tonight. Amen. And as our youth and college and career are being dismissed, uh, my wife and I uh, drove all the way to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. You don't realize how far that is until you get in the car. <laughs> Over 1,500 miles. And uh, we started last, uh, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before last. Um, Sunday night we got in the car, started driving, and got all the way to El Paso and spent the night there. And then we decided we was going to go back to uh, Weir, Texas, just right side of, outside of Austin, to be with her family since the last time we were there. We were kind of stuck in the house with no water and at times no, no electricity. So we decided we'd kind of go through Weir, Texas, and hang out with them for a couple days and then head to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And uh, I just want to be honest with you. I'm, I'm glad to be home. Uh, you can have Mississippi. Now, if some of you are from Mississippi, that's fine. But for you, that might be all right. But for me, it's not. i got to be in Arizona. i got to be in a place where you preach against hell and it don't scare anybody because it's so hot. Yeah. But it's really good to be home. It's good to see everybody here tonight. And I know we're gearing up for a lot of different uh, programs. We're getting ready to go into our Easter uh, program. I'm looking forward to that. And... Uh, uh, we're, we're having all kinds of what I've understand as while I was gone, visitors coming to church. And that's a good thing, too. I was excited about seeing faces that I didn't recognize uh, on the camera last Sunday. And I heard Robbie did a great job Sunday. And I watched him. He knew I was watching him. He even alluded to it, and uh, at one point, he almost made his dad cry, and I was so proud of him, and we're going we're gonna to have Corey, he's going to speak next time, and uh, looking forward to that. Now, these are my boys, obviously, uh, and I'm truly, as a father, and any father would be, proud of their son, especially when you start, start seeing them fulfill uh, and exercise the ministry that God has given them. And that's, that's a joy to see. Well, I don't even know where to start. I guess I'll just get in and start ministering and preaching to you. Is that all right? I want to talk to you tonight about placing the axe at the root of the vine. I, I think there's some things that all of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we have to deal with it. And there's some things that need to be cut away. If we're honest with ourselves, there's some things that we need to deal with, some things that we need to confront in our own lives, and that we know that there are some wrongs that need to be made right. Amen. 
And so tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about that, placing the axe at the root of the vine. Walking through a park, I passed a, a massive oak tree. And there was a vine that had grown up along its trunk. The vine started small, nothing to bother about. But over the years, the vine had gotten taller and taller. As time passed, the entire lower half of the tree was covered by the vine's creepers. The mass of the tiny feelers were so thick that the tree looked as though it was one massive vine. Now the tree was in danger. This huge, beautiful, solid oak was quite literally being taken over. And the life was being squeezed from it. But the gardeners, I may pause for a moment and even say, your pastor. The gardeners in the park had seen the danger. They had taken a saw and severed the trunk of the vine with one neat cut across the middle of it. The tangled mass of the vine's branches still clung to the oak, but the vine was now dead. That would gradually become plain as weeks passed and the creepers began to die and fall away from the tree. How easy it is for sin which begins so small and seemingly insignificant to grow until it has a strangling grip on our lives. We can become silently overtaken. It methodically seduces us into this lethargic state, sin. Not all at once. But little by little, piece by piece, one small move at a time. Brother Wilson and I were talking about this earlier today, and he said this, that a vine that grows up a brick wall will suck the moisture out of the mortar until after 20 or 30 years the wall falls apart. Another illustration to this would have to be it's like a boa constrictor. It squeezes the life out of its prey little by little until its prey dies simply because it can't get out from the forces of the boa constrictor's grip. It's not the first time, maybe not the second time, maybe not even the third time. But 20 years from now, be careful, you will ask yourself this question, where did my life go? Where did my life go? I'm going to pause for just a moment. We have to understand that sin isn't just 
doing something one time. The sin has a way to seduce us into going a little further and a little further and a little further and a little further until we don't even recognize who we are or even where we are. It was to experience drugs just one time. But now you can't put it down because it's squeezing the life out of you. It was about social drinking, booze and alcohol. But now it ends up being multiple DUIs. What am I talking about? I'm talking about things that if we're not careful, little by little, it will take you and it will destroy you piece by piece. Lies upon lies. Cheating and possibly even raising your hand against your spouse, whether it's a woman or a man. And you said you would never do that again, but somehow it just doesn't stop. You've become prey to the vine, taking the life out of you because you didn't put the axe to the root of the vine. I'm preaching to you from a very troubled spirit because we're living in a day where we have let some things go for too long until our world is in trouble. We're dealing with pride. We're dealing with greed. We're dealing with envy. We're dealing with gluttony. We're dealing with wrath and slothfulness, even in the church. On and on and on it goes. How about some of our social media platforms? One post, just one post on Facebook or maybe one post on Instagram turns into a life of regret because of something you shouldn't have said. One date. Maybe all the young people should be in here. One date with a loser has turned into a life of abuse. One cigarette turns into three-pack addictions. Social drinking has turned into multiple DUIs until it goes on and on and on and on and on. Now, I'm, I want you to know that I am preaching a message of awareness tonight. Not to get you to run the aisles and not to get you uh, to say, well, I feel much better about myself. Sometimes we need to get a message that turns the light on in the midst of darkness and shows us where all the dirty spots are. Amen. That's why it says in Jude 1.4, watch this. It says, for there are certain men crept in, crept, 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 crept in. That is the personality trait of a vine. Because when it says they crept in unawares, it means that they came into a place where others were caught off guard. They weren't expecting it. 
And it says, For there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They came in to a place where the people were caught off guard. I think it's really important that as a church that we know how to try the spirits. That we know what is of God and what is not of God. And the only way you know what is of God is not by how you feel, but what you know. So when someone comes in and violates a revelation of truth, you know that's not of God. When someone is opposing the revelation of truth, you know that's not of God. But when you can try the spirits, you can try the spirits based on the word of God. Because the word of God is pure. And the word of God is the very sword that is in your hand. And when you use the word, the devil cannot fight against the word of God. He'll fight against you, but he can't fight against the word. He can fight against the church, but he can't fight against the word. He can fight against your marriage, but he can't fight against the word. You get what I'm saying? When you understand what the power is in the, the revelation of word. The devil cannot fight against it. That's why we need to be aware that there are people that are ordained to condemnation. What does that mean? That simply means they claim to a place where others were caught off guard and they were ordained to tell a lie. That was their mission. Their mission is not to accept, but their mission is to destroy. Do I get an amen? Let's go on so you understand this, because we'll come back to this scripture. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says this, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. And are over you in the Lord. Not control, not manipulation, but are over you in the Lord. And admonish you. He says that you are not your pastor. You are not your mom and dad. You are not the people of the, uh, of the church and the saints of God. But you are responsible to know who labors with you. So you know how to protect yourself. That's why we need to teach our children when they go to school. Who they're around and who they hang with and who are their friends and, and all of that. Because if they're not careful, they'll start thinking that they're doing the same work together. When in reality, no, their work is completely different than the work of God. Do I get a witness? Amen. They crept in unawares. He says, and beseech you therefore, brethren, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, to know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. It's simply saying you are responsible for who you place even yourself under. I like that. You know why it says that? You need to know your pastor's telling you the truth. Come on now. 
I said, I said this uh, to someone uh, not long ago. I said, if you feel like I'm not teaching the truth, then you need to get as far away from this church as you possibly can. But if you believe that we're teaching and we're preaching this truth, you need to come into this place and put everything you've got into it. Because if you believe it, then live it and love it and support it to the fullest degree. But you need to know what's being taught here. You need to know what is being preached. Don't just listen to your pastor walk out the door and say, well, pastor said this and pastor said that. No, you need to get your Bible out and make sure that I'm on track and that I'm teaching the Word of God according to the Bible. Not just a word that comes from me. Come on now. That's why I have often quoted this scripture time and time again. I'm going to quote it again. That it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why? Because you need to know what's right or wrong. Why is that? Because I can't fight your battle for you. When the devil comes against you, you need to know how to stand on your own two feet with the word of God and look the devil square in the eyes and say, Get the behind me Satan and I'm doing this according to the power and the authority of the word of God somebody shout hallelujah you need to know it's your responsibility it's not your pastor's responsibility it's your responsibility make sure that you know that you know that you know amen churches would not be just full of these churches that just want to make everybody feel good and then throw out some of the Word of God. No, every Word of God is pure. But I, I, I believe if our world really sought after God like they should, we wouldn't have buildings big enough to, count, uh, to keep all the people and, and to house all the people that want to live for God. Know for yourself. Don't just listen to preachers and TV evangelists and all of the people that are telling you what is right or wrong. Hallelujah. Know that they preach the truth. Know that they are preaching sound doctrine. But it says in the scripture, going back to it in Jude 1.4, they crept in unawares, who were before of, an old, of old ordained to this condemnation. Now just recently I talked about this. But there's something here I want you to understand. Ordained to this condemnation it simply means that they, their purpose was to destroy the atmosphere of truth. That's why um, we had a, a prayer meeting one time. And there was, there was a, a, a gentleman that came into the prayer room. And the prayer uh, was actually in the church. But he came into the church and we were having prayer. And he, he says, I, I want to prophesy. And I said, no, you're not. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, first of all, we don't know who you are. And secondly, it appears to me that some of the things you've already done causes me to be cautious. I was trying the spirit. How was I doing that? According to the word of God. Because him and I had already had a conversation before he came into our prayer meeting. And I talked to him a little bit about where he'd come from and who he was. And after I talked to him about three or four minutes, I realized according to the word of God that he definitely was not a prophet. I know I'm not going to get a lot of popularity coming from this kind of message, but 
but ordained to condemnation. Their purpose was to destroy the atmosphere of truth, the Bible says. They were wanting to destroy a safe environment, a godly environment. The holiness that we believe is to be true. They want to make sure that holiness doesn't matter. And even in our homes, if we're not careful, the holiness uh, if, uh, is being taken out of our homes and they're creeping in unawares. Why is it being taken out of our homes? It's because the world is defining what we are anymore. Our kids are so uncomfortable being anything other than what the kids in their schools are telling them they should be. My heart goes out to our children because they're being made fun of because they decided they were going to live for God and love God. And it's a shame. And it crept in unawares. It's sad, but it's so true. Um, this cancel generation. And they are now talking about babies instead of babies. And... Now they're wanting to be able to teach to your children sex education. So now they're talking about safe sex. When the church says, well, you need to abstain from sex until you get married. Because we believe that's a God-given beauty of marriage. I thought it was beautiful when my daughter said to me, Dad, the greatest gift I can give my husband is to never have been with another man. Does this mean that anybody who has lived the life of the world and comes into the church that has not been uh, living the life of abstinence uh, cannot be saved? No, that's what I'm saying. Just start living a life of abstinence once you come to the Lord because you now have a new life and you're new, new in Christ. And so you've got a chance to start over because you wasn't born before you got the Holy Ghost. And so now they're, they're trying to indoctrinate our children into an antichrist philosophy. They're trying to tell your kids. You don't, a lot of you are not, not, don't even realize that your kids are being told that there is no God. That's right. They're going to public school, and they won't let them talk about God. Even our professors are teaching, in uh, teaching our college students that there is no God. Not what it's happening. They're creeping in unawares. When I was a kid, they taught about God in college. It's quiet in here. <laughs> yeah, and, and here we are, here we are. If we're not careful, the vine not only get around the trunk of the tree, but it's going to get all over the tree. And when it gets all over the tree, you're going to struggle at getting it off of the tree or out of your life, but you got to put somewhere in your life, you're going to have to put axe to the root of that vine. Amen. You've got to do it. 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 Losing a lot of commitment little by little is happening in our churches all around the world. In fact, passion for truth is being taken away day by day. It's methodically seducing us into this lethargic state until, if we're not careful, 
and we keep our head in the sand long enough, we won't even understand what's going on in our world and what's happening to our kids. Man, I am extremely burdened by this because I am afraid for our children. I am. Parents, are you hearing your pastor tonight? I'm, I'm afraid for our children because there is an agenda. Don't get it. Don't, don't think that there isn't. There is an agenda of Satan to take the heart and the life out of the people who desire to live for God. And the best way they can do that is to take your children. Once they get their, your children, then they have won the battle. Because when they get your children, if we lose that generation, there is no more God. Mm. We've got to teach our children. We've got to pray with our children. We got to keep bringing our children to church. Amen. Why is that? Well, because there is an agenda. Satan has an agenda. It starts as a small fine, nothing to bother about, but its objective is what concerns me. It may not be when it starts, but it sure is concerning me that where is it going to go even 20 years from now? We're in trouble now. But I'm talking about, oh, what are our kids going to have to deal with 20 years from now? And it says in John 10.10, Jesus makes this statement. He says, the thief cometh not but for to steal. What? And to what? Kill and to what? Destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that they might have life, 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 life. What he's really saying, I have come to put the axe to the root of the vine. Amen. All of what's going on, if you, just, if you just make sure you don't let that junk in the world live in you. Don't allow it to grow up in your life. Don't let it take precedent in your, in your logic and your understanding of God. Don't let it define you. Understand your purpose. Understand how God has a plan in your life so that he can reveal to you that anything and everything that will come your way, you shall overcome. Amen. Jesus is saying, while the devil is wanting to steal and the devil's uh, come to kill and the devil has come to destroy, I'm going to cut that vine. Boom. And I'm the one that's going to give you life that you might have it, what? More abundantly. I like that scripture. More abundantly. Not just give you life, but give you something more than what you expected. More abundantly. It's going to be great. If this thing is not great in you, you need to go back and recheck your, the, the dipstick on your oil. Because you're loyal on oil. But if you know what God is and what God can do and start living for him, you're going to have the joy of the Lord and he's going to give you life and that you might have it more abundantly. You're going to come to church and say, Pastor, my testimony is to tell you what God has really done this last week. I didn't think I had a job, but guess what? I was fired from one job and less than a week I got a job that pays me twice the amount. Pastor, you're not going to believe we never thought we'd qualify for that loan. But guess what? We qualified and we got ourselves a brand new house that fits in our budget. And we're not going to overextend ourselves because God has blessed us. Hallelujah. I'm getting myself excited because it's more abundantly. More abundantly. 
Amen. That's the thing about living for God. He don't just leave you out there by yourself. He will bring blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And I have learned something about the Lord, Brother Flores, that he doesn't give you what you want, but he always shows up and gives you what you need. Amen. God is not going to coddle you and just give you candy all the time. A parent that does that with their child coddles them and, and makes them feel like they need what they want all the time but God is not that way he says no I'm not going to give you candy all the time I'll give you what you want or give you what you need but I'm not always going to give you what you want I'm glad that the Lord is that way I'm glad he doesn't give me everything I want amen but he gives me what I need there's a cute quote that says a good start makes for a good ending put the axe to the root of that vine Start over. Start right. Get on the right road. There's nothing more frustrating than when you pass up your exit and you get off and you find out the next two exits are under construction and you've been wanting to turn around for the last four miles. Just don't miss your exit. Make a good start. Get on the right road. <laughs> Amen. It's not rocket science. It's, it's just doing the right thing. It's not, it's not, Lord, which way should I go today? I'm driving down the road. I've had people tell me, the Lord told me to take a right and then three lefts. <laughs> people tell me, Pastor, it took me a while to get to church. Why did it take you so long? Because the Lord took me a different way. I'm like, I hate to tell you this, but that was not the Lord. Some people think it's the Lord. I'll tell you what it is, that little voice in your own head that you're listening to. <laughs> Nothing more frustrating when you don't start on the right road and go the right direction. And then you get so preoccupied with life that you miss your exit. And then finally you're asking yourselves, what in the world is going on? Where am I at until we're lost? But I like the idea that God is going to give us life and give it more abundantly. He's going to show us. He's going to give to us things that, that we never even fathomed possible because we are on the right road. It's just making the right choice. That's all it is. Sometimes you have to start over. I am extremely proud of the fact, I guess you'd call that a godly proud, the fact that I pastor a church of such diversity. And when I say that, some of the people that come to this church have never been churched at all. They don't, they don't know anything about God, and they don't know anything about uh, the protocol of religion. And so it's interesting to me because I uh, had, had one lady up here in the front, and she said, man, Pastor, you kicked the blankly blank out of the devil tonight. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I'm not asking you all to go up here and cuss at your pastor. But what I'm saying is it was very interesting to me is to see that there are people that, 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 that come out of the world 
And I'm privileged to pastor people like that. But let me just say this, and, and we was talking about abstinence. I, I think that, that all of us need to recognize that God always gives you a new start. And when God gives you a new start, get on the right road. Put the axe to the root of the vine that keeps destroying your future. And I know we all live with frustrations, but there's just some decisions people make that they're sabotaging their future and destroying their life because they don't know how to get on the right road. But when you start coming to church, that's why we teach classes. That's why your pastor is teaching on Sunday morning. Why? I'm trying to give you an idea of where you should be in life so that you can make a choice to go on the right road. So you can start over. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, it's time to start over. Now, husbands, be careful how you say that. <laughs> your wife might slap you thinking, I thought we was already started. <laughs> it's time to start over. Amen. I'm glad. That when you decide to start over, the Lord takes off the head of the serpent. The one that was choking you out. The one that was trying to take your life away at the cross. Boom. The Bible says, it shall bruise thy head, Satan, and it shall bruise his heel, Jesus Christ. His death was the heel that struck the head of the serpent. That's what Jesus said. I'm going to give you life and life more abundantly. Amen. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says in the 10th chapter, 13th verse, he said, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. I've had people ask me, Pastor, what can I do to get rid of my temptation? Well, I can tell you this scripture is that there's no temptation taking you, but uh, such is common to man. Everybody has experienced your temptation. There's somebody somewhere gone through the same thing you've gone through and have overcome it. You're not alone in it. And he says, but God is faithful. What, what does that mean? God's going to partner with you when you go down the right road. God's going to partner with you when you make a right decision. God's going to partner with you to say, okay, I'm going to help you get through this. And God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. In other words, God's trusting that you will do the right thing in your temptation, that you'll make the right decision in your temptation. But will with the temptation also make a way escape that ye may be able to do what? Bear it. Bear it. Bear it. You know why I believe the Lord allows us to go through, th through some things? Because it makes us stronger. Opposition always makes you stronger. That's right. Instead of question, just keep pushing that weight. Uh, 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 instead of saying, I can't do it. Oh, it's be stuck. I don't want to. I don't want 
to. Instead, say, I can do it. 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 Trust me, the Lord's right there to spot you. He's there. He says, okay, come on. You can, you can lift it one more time. You can do it. You can do it. And the Lord says, okay, okay, they're, they're, they're having a struggle with this. So now I'll just kind of give them a little bit of help, but he's not going to take it away. That's how God works. Why? Because he knows that if he just takes it away, you are just going to be weak. You're thinking, oh, look what I'm doing. And that's the way some people live for God. Look at me. Look what I can do. See how, how good I am at this? Until, until the Lord looking down and saying, you've never accomplished anything. You've never overcome anything. You have never become strong. And so the Lord is saying, I'm going to help you only enough where you can bear it. Come on now. He's saying, I'm going to make a way for you. You're going to get through this. You're going to get through this. You're going to get through this. I'm almost done. Hang on just a little bit, and I'm just about done. So God is going to make a way. God is going to make a way. Now, we're talking about placing the axe at the root of the vine. And there are vines left long enough become trees. They look like, literally, they look like trees. That's why it says in Matthew, the third chapter in the seventh verse, I'm just about ready to conclude, you've you got to know the difference between, between the tree and the vine. He says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, John the Baptist is talking, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Notice, he's saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that came to the baptism for the wrong reasons. Crept in unawares. He says, you've come to these baptisms for the wrong reasons. And then he calls them vipers. Aren't you glad your pastor don't call you all vipers? Or call our guests vipers. <laughs> he says, you vipers, I warn you to turn from the wrath to come. Pretty stiff message. He's getting on them before he even knew who they were. The only thing he knew about them was that they were Pharisees and Sadducees. And he knew their critical spirit already. And then in the 8th verse it says, Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. Now this is what he's saying to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. He's simply saying, don't be ordained to this condemnation. Don't come to this baptism for the wrong reason. But bring your repentance rather than your critical spirit. Make yourself right. Then you'll understand why we're having church the way we have church. Then the ninth verse says this. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now watch this. He's saying, don't think in yourselves just because you're of Abraham and he is your father. That God is not able to raise up rocks that he calls his children. 
Just because you're of the blood of Abraham doesn't make you the heir of Abraham. I think this is an interesting passage because it's simply saying just because people go to church does not necessarily mean that they're children of God. There's more to living for God than just showing up and attending church. There's more to living for God than just paying your tithe and being faithful in attendance. And these were the Pharisees that knew what it was to keep the old law. So they were good at having church. But he said, just because you're of the blood of Abraham doesn't make you the heir of Abraham. You have vines choking out your life and you're living according to an old law. And little by little, you're allowing it to choke out the very life of your future. And so he tells them, repent and put the axe to the root of your vine. Cut off the head of the snake that you're allowing to live according to the laws of the past. Then he says in the 10th verse right here. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth, now he's showing the difference here, bringeth forth not fruit, or not, uh, bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. He's identifying with a tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit. He's saying there's a good tree and there's a bad tree. He's saying if you're not careful, you'll mistake what is good and what is bad because obviously there's a difference between a vine and a tree. He said, and you have to know which one is which. Otherwise, you're going to cut into the things of God or you're going to cut into the things of the tree that brings forth bad fruit. He says you have to know what you're cutting into. That's why the Bible says to study. Why? So you're not destroying the good things that God gives you according to his word. But instead, you're destroying the corrupt things. It identifies by what it does or does not produce. It might look like a tree. And you can tell that some things can creep in unawares until it's hard to tell the difference between the type of fruit that it bears. In conclusion, um, in fact, I don't even need any music. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, pray a concluding prayer, and then we're going to go home and think about all of this, and then we're going to come back Sunday, and we're going to have breakout church. How about that? Second Timothy 3.5 simply says this, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of thereof. This is what he was saying to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He said uh, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof from such turn away. He's saying they have a form of a tree, but they're not the true tree. That's why the Bible says, I am the tree and you are the branches. Referring to Jesus. I am the tree and you are the branches. They have a form of godliness. They look like a tree. But be careful. Because they creep in unawares. And they are ordained this condemnation. Hallelujah.
Everybody say praise the Lord. Jesus is going to cut the head off. Jesus is the one that's going to lay the axe to the root of the vine. Let's all stand. Amen. Everybody say praise the Lord. All right. Jesus, we love you. Amen. Just missed.